and we embodied that Minnesota nice everywhere. We were a great opening band because we were punctual. We were nice guys. We were nice people. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't really, a lot of times you don't really hang with the big band. Sure. Um, Google Dolls are nice. They, they actually acknowledged us. But I got to say, it's a cheap trick. And off we go. And off we go. Greetings and welcome to the Kindness Chronicles, where we hope to inject the world with a dose of Minnesota nice that it seems to desperately need. I'm John Schweitz, and my uh, co-host here, Kevin Gork. You might know him from Fox Sports North, Canterbury Park, and a Culver's drive through near you. Double Butterburger with uh, mushrooms, and step on it, please. Uh, we are joined today by uh, an old pal of mine, Steve Brown, who provided our intro music. Steve, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yep. Steve was, as many of you know, the lead singer for Johnny Clueless, a band that uh, really hit its peak in the 90s, probably. Yeah. Yep. What a great decade of music, though, honestly. That was a fun decade. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So, uh, full disclosure... Steve and I went to high school together. He was a couple of years behind me, but when I was a senior... And let's establish that you guys were pioneers. We were pioneers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I was a senior, all of the senior girls decided to be interested in the sophomore boys, so I've kind of held a, uh, a grudge against Steve and his <laughs> his classmates. Well, Billy Idol had a 90s hit called Rock in the Cradle of Love. They were ahead of their time. They were. They really were. All the high school cheerleaders were dating the sophomore boys. You know who you are. And wow. I, I just remember your cheerleaders in 85, because I'm older than you are, and... Having them on WCCO TV during the state tournament with the makeup and then seeing the tears when when Burnsville, yes, God's country, finally <laughs> proved victorious, the, the makeup got to be a little messy. It is interesting how you always want to bring up the 85 <laughs> Burnsville hockey team. Hill Murray gets the best of us many times, but not that in 85. time. And who was the goaltender in 85? Some Butterburger guy. Some I don't know. <laughs> Well, Steve, enough about Captain Butterburger. All right. When I originally reached out to you, you are one of those guys that just has always been such a delightful person. I remember you in high school as one of those people that really seemed to, you know, weren't really clicky. You were friends with all kinds of different people. And I consider you sort of the embodiment of the, the, the kindness that we're hoping we can impart upon people. But you also well, have you. kind of a fun story. Uh, Thank you, John. That's very nice of you. And yes, I'm a nice Minnesota guy. And I I played in a band and formed a band and traveled around the country. And we embodied that Minnesota nice everywhere. We couldn't really shake it. And people knew who we were right away. Wherever we traveled, they would recognize our accent or we would ask for a pop. You got a pop. See, there's soda or pop. And around here, it's pop. Yeah. So so we changed that because we didn't want people to immediately know who we were. It's like, you know, you give yourself away. So, yes, we took it seriously. I mean, we really traveled and we opened up for lots of bands. We we really hit it hard, put out albums, and we took it seriously. And it wasn't just like a party on the road. It was we we're trying to really do something. We we're the most punctual, sad, you know, we'd show up on time, ready to do our job. You know, we were very good at what we did. We had fun, but it was it was a serious thing. Obviously, the Minnesota Nice that you embody is something that came from somewhere. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. I grew up in uh, in Monomedi, which is which where is where live. I live now. The meat pie. <laughs> yes. That's right. I went to St. Jude's right oh, across God the street bless from you, you my son. Uh, <laughs> oh, brother. So yeah, so we grew Probably. up kind of out 
a little outside of Monumenta, but in the in the country, that was a small town. Um, good parents, good people, good family, good brothers and sisters. I realized right away, uh, being nice gets you a lot further. And I was not smart enough to be a good liar, so <laughs> I can't forget because once you start that road, you got to know where you know where you're cover your. It's lies. a slippery slope. Yeah, so it, it kind of kept me on track. Like I'm not smart enough to do that. I, you know, just be good to people. You thinking of George Costanza? Right <laughs> yes. Now? It's only a lie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if you don't believe it, you don't it's believe a trap. <laughs> you got to keep going with it, and I'm not good at that. So, but you have a brother, uh, Dan, who yep. I graduated yep. with, who was also a delightful uh, fellow. Yep. Do you have any other siblings? Just yeah, like, I have. So I have two brothers and two sisters. Oh, five wow. kids in my family. Holy cow! My, they, uh, my oldest brother Tony went to Hill Marie as well, graduated in '81. My sister Lisa graduated '82, and then Dan '86 with you, right? Yes. Yeah. And then I graduated 88. My, my younger sister, Shannon, went to Monomedi, actually. She and broke she, the mold. She broke it, yeah. Wow. I don't really know why. She had friends, and she was like, right. she still turned out okay? She turned out just She made it. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember you as a, a drummer in high school. Yes. You know, that the ladies always seemed to be uh, enamored <laughs> with. Well, I was always kind of a performer as a kid. <laughs> I think it's because of my where I was in the family. I think I was looking for attention out of the four. It was three of them already. And, you know, I was like, I think I came around and wanted some attention. And I got it by perform- entertaining. I was going to make my mom laugh and entertain. So I became an Elvis impersonator. Oh, my God. Oh, that's sweet. My mom sprayed my hair black, put some glutes and sideburns on, sewed me this amazing uh, yes. Elvis costume. And, and I, the reason why uh, she actually made it is because one of their friends had a 40th birthday party. And my parents and their friends did the 40th birthday parties huge. They just went all out and they would have meetings and plan a whole thing and have these great surprise parties with people. This one friend of theirs, her name is Pat Branch, and she was a huge Elvis fan. And they said, it'd be great if we could have an Elvis impersonator. And, and I'm around the house in the mirror doing Elvis all the time. I wasn't even a singer. I just thought he was just the coolest dude. I actually saw him play when I was five years old at the Met Stadium. Oh, nice. Yep, 1970. Six, five, 75, 76, somewhere in there. I was five or six years old. Anyway, I fell asleep. It was way too much for me. But still, there was some influence. Yeah, a lot of influence. I really, I was into it. Anyway, I was always sort of performing. Back to my neighborhood, we started playing music and I moved from BMX biking to like making guitars and writing songs instead of doing cover songs. We were about like, I had one friend, my friend Steven was like a, just a really smart, creative guy. He was like, let's write a song. Like, you can't write a song. You gotta, you know, <laughs> and he just opened me up to that after that. That's what we wanted to do. We spent time performing and writing songs and playing in bands. And, and, and the only reason why I became a drummer, so I was, I love guitar. I always play guitar. I was the only guy in the band that had a job and had the rhythm to do it. So, Very nice. so they decided, okay, you're going to be the drummer. You're the drummer. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I was a very rudimentary drummer, but I, I figured it out. And I actually went on to, uh, Continue to play even after those neighborhood bands ended. I played drums with a band called the Urban Gorillas. Oh, really? So they were a big band in the in the eighties in Minneapolis, kind of a punk kind of band. They they broke up and reformed, and I had some friends that knew some of them. I was sixteen years old playing at the Seventh Street Entry and the Caboose. No kidding. Traveling. Are you serious? Yeah. That's yeah, so, awesome. So I've been in. It, I wasn't good. Let me just. You're sixteen my, at the Caboose. That's not bad. Yeah. So I was very kind of foreshadowing to where my life went in my twenties. Like that's that was my home, the Caboose. So it was very exciting to be able to do it. My parents were pretty cool with it. It was just like a weekend. Got to do some shows. We did go to on the road one weekend. We went to Moorhead and played at Kirby's, which is another place that my band Johnny Clueless played there a million times. It became my home. So strange, strange early life for music and. 
And, and was the rummage kinsman, okay. is that part of yeah. your, that's so, part of so your I'm history? So I'm going in chronological order here. Okay. Some of my high school friends from Montemita, I had, I was friends with people in Montemita and Hill Murray because I played summer soccer. You're friends with everybody. Yeah, exactly. You're Steve Brown. Mad about town. Nice guy. <laughs> Just too nice. Um, played soccer with Great the, hair some too. friends, Jay, yeah. Jay Matthews and Dave Leach, some guys that I knew. Um, they were like, hey. We, Dave Leach, Andy Leach's brother? Yes. Oh, Lord. Yes. He's still a good friend of mine. Uh, sadly, we lost my friend Jay. I know. Jay Matthews. Um, but we, uh, we, we formed a band. They, after Urban Girls, like, dude, you, let's get some. We all like the same music. They said, let's get a band together. So I started like formally playing the drums with them and, and also writing songs. So I wrote songs. And I, that, would, that would be my platform. And Jay would sing them and we'd play them. And so I ended up being uh, the drummer for that band, which we had a good run in high school. We had T-shirts. So how old are you when you get your first band T-shirt? How, are you still in high school? Um, yes, 87. Rummage how cool are you walking around the halls of Hill Murray, being in a band with Nobody their wears own? wears the T-shirt hey, wait a from yeah, their we own have to wear band. A uniform. I'm sorry. Under my uniform, I'm wearing that T-shirt, and at some point, I'm making a point to tell people, this is my band. No, it, it was actually, it was, a, it was a well-designed shirt, and it sold like crazy. We had all kinds of friends. Well-designed. You know, they loved it. It was super fun. And you have occasionally gotten back together again because you have yes. like some some fundraising events up at the dugout yep. Yep. in downtown Matamita. Oh, I've been is, to the dugout. Which oh, yeah. is sort of like the 50th in France of Willard, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> again, it was like the focus is on original music. We did a lot of covers to fill out a whole night, but we wrote songs and they were turned on to that idea. And so I, I from my neighborhood to... Now in my high school band, we were actually writing songs, and no one was really doing that with any kind of... They weren't like fantastic songs, but they were... They were yours. They were danceable. And the whole point is to have fun. Get people out dancing. Get them out on the dance floor. Get them having some fun. That's Totally. That's It's always been about that. I'm performing and like having a good time. People getting people out there and getting together. That's why I miss it right now. So uh, who else was in that band, just curiously? Um, Dave Leach, Jay Matthews, uh, Josh Knudsen, who is a, a good friend. For, he graduated from Montemita, and he moved out. He lives out... West, he lives in Seattle, and then Kelly Ryan played the keyboards. We lost him too. He he had he died uh, in the in the nineties. So um, super sad. We lost two of those guys, wow. and we're not we're not in the nineties. Man, he had to be young. He had a, a brain tumor, and yeah, oh, it's awful. It was all, we were all in college, and it kind of happened so fast. Because so. keyboards, I look back at the eighties and nineties. I think of a flock of seagulls and some of the concerts that I went to, and the keyboards were a big part of of the show. Right, you always had the keyboard. Oh, yeah person right on the front right of the stage and it was there was a lot of techno to it it was fantastic oh yeah journey journey had the journey had the guy keyboardist. absolutely <laughs> so tell us about your uh your your time with johnny clueless that was that was kind of when you hit it the big time yeah so so i moved into college with this idea i was gonna change from being the drummer because i didn't want to pack up my drums and go to college with a drum set and the world does not need another half-ass drummer i was a half-ass drummer i loved it but i had rhythm but it, I was still writing songs. And so I was like, when I go to college, went to St. Cloud State, by the way. Go Huskies. I was right. so excited to do that. Um, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of keep my eye out for some people that might need a, a band. I'm going to help them out. Jumping in as a rhythm guitar player for a band. Uh, had a singer. They had a whole thing. And, uh, and because of my neighborhood, we were very much like, it was an open, there was no very creative environment. So there was like, oh, no, that sucks. Let's do this. You just are open like that. So when I sat there with, this band, um, the singer was doing something, and and someone said, "You got a you got a song." And so I I got a song, and I ended up singing it. And this I sang it. It's called "I Want a Girl." One of my oh yeah, this is it's on YouTube. You yeah, can, you can see it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, 
I, I played it, and the whole band was like, this is great. This is a real, this is an original song, and the singer never came back. And you're the singer. <laughs> I know. Wow. I guess you're the singer, and I'm like, great. So. Kind of like Lou Gehrig and Wally Pip. Yes, see? <laughs> You know, it's the same thing, Lou just Garrick, different. The Lou Gehrig of Minnesota music. Yeah. How about that? And we had no idea when we started this podcast. Exactly. Right. We're, we're, the connections are And now we know incredible. the rest of the story. <laughs> That's cool. So, so, so and that was, a, that was a, an early formation of Johnny Clue. It was called Tom Foolery. We played all the college parties. We were not able to be in the bar yet. And that kind of fizzled out. We wrote a lot of songs during that time and built a great bar or a, a, a party house kind of crowd. Oh, fun. And we put out a tape as well. Back again, another tape. You know, you get those tapes going. Oh, yeah. And we created a, a nice little audience. And every time we, I came back the next fall, there's more people that were into it. And by the time sort of that, that kind of ended out, I was like, okay, I'm going to start a real band. I'm going to do this right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try to find people that are serious about it. So I, I got my old drummer, who I really formed something great with. And, uh, and then I found some new people. And uh, Stacy Machula on bass, she was... Um, I went to the music store in town in St. Cloud, and I said, you don't even want to play bass. And <laughs> no kidding. Guy, and yes, yeah, at this simple. And the guy goes, well, actually, Stacey, uh, so she's, she comes in here all the time. She's great. She can sing and everything. And, you know, like a female bass player. That's pretty cool. Very, uh, very you know, smashing pumpkins. Yeah, like, very 90s. Yeah. Oh, so I literally went home, called her up. She lived in a dorm not far from me. I said, I'm starting a new band. Uh, someone, you know, from the music store gave me your number. And she came over immediately. We sat down and started working it out so that's then, awesome yeah it, so it was it was that simple and that's been that was 1992 wow um and we had a couple different guitar players the guitar player I play with now we've known him since uh early 2000 and he's a fantastic amazing producer he plays everything and um but but we traveled and from that point from 92 we did a lot of st cloud state shows and built ourselves up at the red carpet and then we started traveling graduated from school and traveled all through the 20s did you have folks that would show up at a lot of the different shows. Reg I want to say regulars, fans. That, I don't want to call them groupies because that term gets kind of into the muddy yeah, waters like and so forth. But you know what I'm talking about. Folks that just loved your band and no matter where you were, if it was close enough to drive, off they went. Yep, we did. We had... So what really built us in Minneapolis is started playing the caboose every Wednesday in the summer. Oh, that's huge. And built our crowd up by, oh. that, by that fall. Oh. It was an amazing crowd. So we were a very energetic band. We kind of had something fresh going. And like you said earlier, the 90s were a great time for original music. Yep. The grunge scene was in. We were in a grunge band, but it was about original, something new, something different. All the cheesy 80s stuff. Kind of People were kind of ready for out. something completely different from what they had. And, and the 80s was a lot of fun, but it was overdone. Yep. And when the 90s came around, to your point, people were starving for something different. Yep. Yep. So we brought something fresh and new. It was some of that original thinking from my neighborhood, like write a song and, you know, they weren't great songs, um, but we kept crafting them and, and kept working on them and, and, you know, ended up putting out albums and um, recording in real studios. And it surpassed John. All I really wanted to do was play the red carpet. That's <laughs> that, Mission had, accomplished. Oh, I we love it. From, having such success at the party houses was packed. And I was like, I just want to play the red carpet. I want to have a good crowd there. And the first weekend we played there, we played upstairs. So they gave us like the small, small venue and that some other cheesy band played downstairs. I shouldn't say that they were like a cover band. We'll edit that out. And I, yeah, they're <laughs> nice guys, but they, um, the bar we played for a whole weekend and we packed that entire space so bad. There was no one downstairs in the main room. They should have flipped um, it. By the end of the night I was, you know, on top of the tables, you know, we were just entertaining the crap out of these people. Cause they were all, they all knew all the songs already. 
So it exploded. Because the, the 21 people from the party house were and, all yeah, at the red carpet. The bar, so the bar was like, whoa, and they, they made a lot of money on us. That's me. great. Um, and then same thing happened in Minneapolis. We, we built a crowd there, and then by the time all those people graduated, it, so it's all timing for my band. It exploded into this great thing, and the bar scene was really good back then. So we had a thousand people at the caboose every time we wow. played um, for many years there. What fun! It was great. And then I can't complain. You went on the road, didn't you? We we, we hit the road and did uh, almost 180 shows a, a, a year for a few years there. So we we went through three different vans. We pulled a trailer along. So we we didn't bring PA gear. We just played in clubs that had PA systems. But we you know you bring your amps and your your gear and it's, it was a very arduous. It's a lot of work, right? I mean, that's, that's 180. That's, that's a long yep. grind. Yep. What was the biggest crowd you ever? Um, I would say one of the, one of the biggest crowds we ever played to was about 60,000 people for the uh, Aquatennial thing with uh, cheap trick. We opened up for cheap trick. No, that's um, cool. Minneapolis uh, where blocky used to be before they built the blocky. There was a big, huge lot there before they had the, before they started building, they had a big party and it, the, the whole city was, you know, packed full of people. And that was at a time, a culmination of, we had played a month of shows with cheap trick and they already really liked us. And so is that the biggest name band you played with? Was there any others that maybe you were a little bit starstruck when you met them? Um, we played with so many bands. We opened so many bands, Goo Goo Dolls, uh, wow. Very Naked Ladies, Cheryl Crow, so- Solo Sound, Trip Shakespeare, Gear Daddies. I mean, everyone in town, Tain and the B-Side, we played with them a lot. We were a great opening band because we were punctual. We were nice guys. We were nice people. <laughs> you were reliable too, right? People could count we on you if, if they're going to put we you on the slate. Crap out of people. So we had fun. Uh, my the thing that I always like wow. to know is, you know, who of those big bands were like the nicest, the kindest uh, folks that you encountered? Bare naked ladies is my guess. They were very nice, but you know, we didn't really. A lot of times, you don't really hang with the big band. Sure, um, Google Dolls were nice. They they actually acknowledged us. But I got to say, it's cheap trick because we went on so many shows with them. Um, we were just this little van following their tra- their, their <laughs> big bus, but but we won over the the tech team. So their their guitar techs, they're like, these guys are freaking good. This is this is a good band. So they started watching us, and then they told the band about it. The band started kind of like attention. actually, well, they play so many shows. They don't look at their opening bands. They come on when they're supposed to play. But I know that they liked us because at the end of this little tour. Um, they played First Avenue and we played O'Gara's the same night. Wow. So we didn't open for that show, but it was we just wrapped up and they were going from uh, Minneapolis to Chicago the next day. So we just put it out there and said, you know, we're playing O'Gara's. You want to stop by and get on stage with us? And uh, just to throw it out there for the hell of it, they showed up. No kidding. And I'm telling you, that that probably was my my greatest moment of my whole career um, playing this great show. We were, we were so tight. We were so great after that tour. Cause we watched these guys that are such pros wow. just, just seeing how they do it. Um, it just sort of inspired me to like, okay, just to pro to do it a pro level, just a couple different things you do on stage and just how you, how you enact with the audience. We already had it down, but it, they just, I just refined a lot of things watching them for a month of show. And they showed up. So I, I was one moment I looked back, I was looking at my band or my drummer. I, I, I look forward and I see, Robin Zander and Tom Peterson and uh, I think Bunny. I don't know. There was three of them. I don't think Rick was there in the bar. He was hanging out with somebody. But Robin Zander's watching us play. Wow. And then we're like, you want to get up and play a song? He got up and played a song with us. We played a Stone song or something. But oh, awesome. I've got photos. But this is before the cell phones were really big. Right. So we don't have a lot of footage of it. But there's lots, a few photos of it. And one of my most proud moments. He's playing my guitar. He's singing in my mic. And we played a 
some grace. Damn. And clearly you have to, you got to be a good guy to be willing to do something like that. That some, you know, I mean, O'Gara's was yeah. a nice venue, but to them a rinky dink. Right. You know, I think space. we related with them. We were a hardworking band. I have a story. You asked me to bring up some stories. Bring a story. Yes. Okay. Just a, just a couple. Again, we're a Minnesota nice band playing all around the country. We played coast to coast. We played at CBGB's. We played at the whiskey. We, really? Yeah. To, to nobody, John. I mean, no one was there, but we did play the CBGB's two different times, but um, it's a hard, it's a hard thing, but we would anchor our, uh, our bar shows where you'd open for, for some band for 50 bucks and you'd play at a college show for more that to help sustain the tour. Anyway, so a lot of college NACA shows. Um, we were in Des Moines. We had a good little crowd in Des Moines that we had built over the years. We still, they still come out to the dugout. Some of those Des Moines people every wow. once a year. So we get that happening. We played at a private party for one of their houses. One time, really good people. We played at this bar in Des Moines, uh, really to uh, early two thousands. And, uh, the band, uh, the outfield. Watched. Oh, play really? deep. Yeah. So, you know, them. they had a million hits in the eighties. Sure. Great band. They played at the, uh, uh, taste of Des Moines, right? Right before that. Oh yeah. They came in, walked into the bar and you could just tell as we're playing, they looked like somebody, they looked like they, you know, they had a couple girls with them. It was just like you'd expect, but it wasn't a very full night. They asked the bar if, um, to ask us if they could get up and play a song. So it was a little like you normally like with, well, like with Robin Zander, we asked them to get up because we acknowledged it. Right. We didn't know who they were, but they said they want to get up and play a song. We're like at the break, we're like, okay, because we're Minnesota nice guys. They get up, they played uh, for a full set. Oh no. They didn't play a song. <laughs> they played a full set. They just played a huge show. They were going to a bar after and they were like, Oh, we still want to play. Can you guys let us play a song? Huh. Sure. 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 <laughs> They play a whole set. They played like eight songs or oh something. My God. And they killed our crowd. <laughs> the crowd that we had that they brought in left with them. Oh, no. And so we, we ended up kind of doing a lot of trying to cover their songs. At, to, to, <laughs> we entertained our sound man doing my version of uh, you know, making up <laughs> lyrics to their tunes. But um, that's a very Minnesota nice kind very of Very Minnesota nice. We, we did it. We were nice guys. Um, another, this is another kind of a weird story, but we are in a place called Okaboji, Iowa. Oh yeah. It's a resort city in Iowa. Everybody goes there in the summer cause it's the one lake in Iowa. It's a huge, it's a huge thing. We used to play at a place called Fritz Murphy's. Anyway, we were loading into our hotel the night, uh, right before the, before we go to the bar, we saw these high school looking kids in the hotel room next to us, this dodgy little hotel that we stayed at. And, uh, they were like, are you guys a band or something? Were you, you guys playing at Murphy's? Yeah. And they're like, Oh man, cool. I guess you're going to be over there. I'm always promoting you coming out. No, we're, we're not 21. Oh, okay. Well, you know, what are you guys going to do? I don't know. So we played our whole show, came back, loading in our guitars into the room. And there's still these sad looking dudes hanging out. (laughs) You know, they had some like beer and they were like, you know, this had like a lame night and uh, me being the constant performer, I felt like I owed these guys. I still had excitement going. And like, I felt like, I gotta make what can this, I do for I, these yeah, guys? I don't know why I felt like this, but I got to make something fun for these guys. I go, hey, you know what? I had an idea. I go, you guys, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get something. I'm going to come back. We're going to have a contest. They're like, what? Because it looked like the saddest party. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> Night had know. gone the wrong way. Yeah. So I went and got some dumb convenience store prizes, like army men and like candy bars and stuff. And I said, all right, everybody, come on out here. We're going to have a standing broad jump contest. The winner gets an amazing prize. 
They're like, what? And it was so stupid, but all of a sudden they all kind of got excited and like, what's going on? The band, band guys who want us to do something. What? We got outside and we had a contest. We like, we, we had it boiled down to the last three and, uh, and the, the ones that did the best got prizes. And like, it was like one of the funnest things we did. I don't remember the show. I remember that. And I think everyone felt the same. We were like arm in arm, you know, like. This is the super fun. I, I, and they probably still remember the night, too. I, I kind of hope they do. Which well, is the point. And, and ladies and gentlemen, that's Steve Brown. <laughs> that is Steve Brown. Steve Brown is the guy that if he saw somebody in the lunchroom sitting by themselves, he, he'd, he'd be the guy that would uh, sit down and chat with them. up next to him and, and make a friend. Probably trying to promote my band. Oh, somehow. for sure. I mean, Even was- so, <laughs> that person had a better lunch because of that time. And that's kind of the whole idea. Well, okay. I have one more story. This is not band related. This yeah. kind of brings it all back, John. 1984. Yes. I just started high school. Yes. From my little St. Jude's experience to a big, huge school. I walk in and for, I don't really know the scenario of what was going on, but um, there was some kind of mocking of freshmen and they were in the wrong spot and someone was pointing someone out and somebody hanging around this group. And a young John Schweitz looks at me. Come on. This is the first time I met you. This is... I. I Whoa. A young John Schweitz looks at me and goes, hey, I was, he goes, who are you? I go, I'm Steve Brown. He goes, oh, you Dan Brown's brother? <laughs> I go, yeah. He goes, all right, come here. I'll show you. Here's what you got to do. You know, like leave him alone or what was, it wasn't like a fight, but they were just really giving you a hard time. Guiding all of us and yep. kind of mocking us as freshmen. You, John, are the one of the first people I had met that was not from my grade and you, it, you embodied that idea that you're talking about right Come now. Come on. It and now right he's the quarterback of the Kindness Chronicles. <laughs> and, Talk about coming full and I, circle. And I said, I said to my brother, I go, do you know who John Schweitz is? He goes, yeah. I go, for some reason, he was super nice to me. And I, I wasn't prepared oh, for anyone God, to be nice to me. Cry. That's so cool. And I, I always remember that. I was like, John Schweitz is one of the first older guys in high school that was kind of guiding me. Said, Took hey, you know, under the wing, the whole well, thing. And, and it's true. I, sincerely... There were guys from your grade, you know, Tony Yoakum yeah. and John Shilkin and you. And they're just that class was a great group of guys uh, until you took our senior girls away from us when you were sophomores. <laughs> that's suddenly, where we draw the line in the sand. I was no longer a fan yep, of Steve Brown anymore. That's where it all well, changed. That's so nice of you to say. True story, God. man. That's pretty neat. Well, good for you, Johnny boy. Well, now I'm going to have to go uh, redo my makeup. And yeah, get a little salty <laughs> discharge coming out well, of your I eye there. There's a rock star going to be in here, so I put on the guy liner. The Alice Cooper starter set? <laughs> yes, very nice. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Steve. Um, Steve is now in the... Uh, tell us about what you're doing right now. It's so Actually, he's here today working for me yeah. at the Masonic uh, So I after Heritage after Center. I played and traveled in the band and wasted all my twenties and all my friends <laughs> were gaining a career basis, I uh, I jumped into uh, I have a TV production degree at St. Cloud State, but I really never did much with it. But I love filmmaking, I love all that uh, production aspect of it. I fell backwards into a, a job at Target as a as a producer, as a kind of coordinator, and uh, so I've been doing those kind of things for most of my career. And uh, uh, since the pandemic, I ended up spilling out into. Um, new territory again. So I've been doing executive producing and helping with video shoots and with uh, technical producing for virtual events. So uh, I'm today I'm helping a film crew. I was supposed to be helping, but now you drag me into this. I'm not <laughs> helping those poor guys. I'm helping uh, do a, a shoot for you for the Masonic team, a, a trivia contest shoot. It's super fun. Yes. Uh, we have uh, Kevin and I actually host another podcast called uh, Minnesota Masonic Histories and Mysteries. And uh, Steve is uh, kind of helping us launch that through this trivia contest to kind of 
build some awareness. So, Steve, thank you much for your time. Outstanding stuff, hey, man. Pleasure to see you. It was a blast. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. I, thank I'm you. proud to do it. Matamidai guy. Hill Murray guy. I'm a Hill Murray guy, too. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's that. You know what that is? That is a, that's a match made in heaven right there. I guess so. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And off we go.